the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, welcome to Pure Opelka. I think, uh, I think it's time. I think it's... I think it's time that we begin the program with some advice from the government. Uh, I think it's appropriate. I think, yes, your tax dollars paid for this, and I think your tax dollars should be utilized to the max. Ladies and gentlemen, a little advice on, on what's going on in the world today and how to deal with it, courtesy of the United States government and Bert the turtle. Sing along if you know. There was a turtle by the name of Bert, and the turtle was very alert. When danger threatened him, he never got hurt. He knew just what to do. He ducked. Yes. And cover. That's right. Duck and cover. He did what we all must learn to do. You. And you, and you, and you, me, and cover. This was a public service statement brought to you by the United States government. I know what you're saying. What? What? Yes, yes, duck and cover. That's actually from 1951. And uh, your tax dollars at work. There was an extensive amount of information slash propaganda going uh, out and about. And you know what? Duck and cover, not a bad idea, except if you're really close to a nuclear bomb and it explodes, you're not going to duck and cover. You're going to flash and vaporize. And that's kind of the sad and grim reality of it. And why am I making light of all this? Simply because if we don't laugh, we will cry, right? Maybe not cry, but we might freak out a little bit. We might have trouble sleeping at night. There might have been people in your life, in your home, as uh, there were in mine, who were like, wait a minute, what? What happened? What did he do? What did he say? And what did the short, fat guy over in North Korea say? I'm not fat shaming him. I'm not height shaming him. I'm identifying him. Yeah, it was a weird day yesterday when we got the news that our intelligence agencies believe Kim Jong-un now has the capacity to put a tiny, little bitty nuclear 10 kiloton bomb on an intercontinental ballistic missile and send it here. And the president responded, as you heard him respond. And you know what? It is a little nerve wracking. It is a tad disturbing it is something that can make you at least try to pay attention. And if you heard Glenn talking about it today and how he was explaining it to his son, I thought it was a, one of the best monologues I've heard in a long time. I'm not kissing your butt, boss. I just really did think that was some great stuff. And I want to get into a president's reaction to this kind of a crisis. Because we, we are hearing, we are hearing from the president, the secretary of state, the vice president, all are making statements on this. Now, I suspect we might have 
we might have a statement from the president this evening. Maybe a formal address from Bedminster, New Jersey. I almost said from the New Jersey Oval Office, oh my God. I know, that's kind of scary to a lot of us. A New Jersey Oval Office? Forget about it. (laughs) You know what? Maybe the president needs to get holed up in the governor's mansion where Chris Christie is currently working on packing up his stuff because he's leaving soon. And maybe he could do an address from there. I got I got a copy of um, what I believe is a, a pretty close final draft of President Trump's speech to the country. I, do I have time to do it here? I think I do. I think I do, yeah. All right, this, this is, and if you want to tweet along or join in, the uh, phone number is 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393, or at StuntBrain. This is, and I can't even tell you where I got this, because I, I would get somebody fired so fired. But this is what I believe will be the president's speech tonight. You know, he'll throw in some, some ad libs. And wait, wait, what? They haven't even announced the speech yet? <laughs> oh, that's right. But it's coming. It's, it's more of a brief address. Because I think we need more than just a, an aside about fire and fury and our more powerful nukes than ever. So this is what I believe. And it's, it's kind of hard to... Um, I don't do a Trump voice. Everybody does the word huge. It'll be huge. But I'm going to try and give you as much of a presidential tone as this speech has, because I think it's I think it's actually pretty darn presidential. Good evening, my fellow citizens. Your government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance on the North Korean military buildup especially its nuclear weapons. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of nuclear offensive missile sites are now being prepared in that imprisoned nation. The purpose of these missile sites can be none other than to provide nuclear strike capability against South Korea, Japan, and the United States. Upon receiving the first preliminary hard information of the nature of this last week, I directed our surveillance to be stepped up. And having now confirmed and completed our evaluation of the evidence and our decision on a course of action, this government feels obliged to report this new crisis to you in the fullest detail. The characteristics of these new missile sites and the intercontinental ballistic missiles indicate two very distinct types of installations. Several of them include medium-range ballistic missiles capable of carrying a nuclear warhead for a distance of more than a thousand miles. Each of these missiles, in short, is capable of striking South Korea, Japan, and the region, obviously, which would threaten China and Russia. Additional sites are not yet completed, appear to be designed for long-range ballistic missiles capable of traveling more than twice that far, making Guam in the crosshairs 
and ranging as far north and far east as the United States of America. In addition, the Cuban, the um, the North Korean Air Force and bombers capable of carrying nuclear weapons are now being assembled on their air bases and being prepared. My stumble there gives away the reality here. This is not a speech Donald Trump will deliver tonight. No, if he only would. If he only would give a speech in that tone, I think a lot of us would be a lot calmer today. This is, in fact, a speech from a long time ago, when I was a little kid. This is from October 22nd, 1922. 1922, 62, October 22nd, 1962, when John Fitzgerald Kennedy addressed the nation and said this. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, Unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Only last Thursday, as evidence of this rapid offensive buildup was already in my hand, Soviet Foreign Minister Gromyko told me in my office that he was instructed to make it clear once again, as he said his government had already done, that Soviet assistance to Cuba, and I quote, pursued solely the purpose of contributing to the defense capabilities of Cuba, unquote. That, and I quote him, training by Soviet specialists of Cuban nationals in handling defensive armaments was by no means offensive. And that if it were otherwise, Mr. Gamico went on, the Soviet government would never become involved in rendering such assistance, unquote. That statement also was false. John F. Kennedy, October 22nd, 1962, as the president of the United States told the nation that we had a nuclear threat assembling just 90 miles off the coast of Florida. A president who went on to sweat out the Cuban Missile Crisis, and finally stare down the Soviets. And that night, the president announced that there were going to be some steps taken. Number one, they were going to strictly quarantine all offensive military equipment that was being shipped to Cuba. In other words, a blockade around Cuba to turn back any, any ships that will be carrying weapons. Second, he directed continued and increased surveillance of Cuba. You know, they were our enemies. We didn't have, we did not have an embassy back there, and I still think they're a, a group of bad people there. Third, it was the policy of America to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the West as an attack on the United States requiring full retaliatory response upon not just Cuba, but the Soviet Union. Kind of like Article 5 of NATO, right? Fourth, 
The president reinforced our base at Guantanamo, evacuated the dependents and personnel, and ordered military units to be on a standby alert status. Fifth, they asked for the the organ of consultation under the Organization of American States to consider this a threat to hemispheric security. Yeah, I would think so. And the U.N. asked for an emergency meeting of the Security Council to be convoked without delay and take action against the Soviets, uh, a.k.a. uh, the Russians. And finally, the president called upon Nikita Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this, as he called it, clandestine, reckless and provocative threat to world peace to stabilize relations between the two nations. This was... This was one of the most stress-filled moments of my life when I was, as I said, a mere stripling. I was five. And I remember coming home and having uh, my mom explain this to us, what was going on, because we didn't understand it. We had no idea what this was all about. All we knew is that every parent was nervous And that the nuns at Our Lady of Perpetual Help School were giving us a little drill on how to run into the hall and put our head between our legs. And as one of the uh, more advanced comedic voices in our class would say, and kiss your butt goodbye. It was 1962. It was October 22nd. JFK faced a serious nuclear crisis. America faced a serious nuclear crisis. Thank God. Thank God we did not see a missile launch. And thank God we had a president strong enough to understand it wasn't just Cuba, but there were willing co-conspirators in this this, uh, setup of nuclear missiles in Cuba. It took diplomacy, it took courage, it took guts, it took American strength and the commitment to say, if you do, you will be the recipients of the full fury of the United States of America, the power of our military. And on this day of the bombing of of Nagasaki in Japan, the anniversary of that moment, that horrific moment when, when Truman had authorized the dropping of a second nuclear warhead. And instantly, 74,000 people vaporized. Well, in this case, as, as we've all heard the estimations, the numbers would be millions if there were to be a nuclear conflict in that region. Millions. If you've ever been to the UN and, and walked around, there's a powerful exhibit that shows items they preserved from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, pieces of metal that endured and and survived somehow the nuclear blast, statues that were permanently altered because of the blast. And you don't think about what what that, that horror would do, that nuclear explosion would do, and you understand that people are just gone instantly. And then you see that steel and, and stone and, and marble are affected by it as well. You see, you see the power. And I think you hope and pray that that power is never unleashed. Again, I think we all do. This guy, this 
Kim Jong-un, he didn't just come up with this. This is a long time coming. And I think it needs great minds, great patience, and great perseverance to make sure we stem the attack. We cut it off now. But what to do? I don't have the answers. We'll talk about the roots of this, and we'll get into it a little bit deeper. And I've got some feelers out to some of the members of Congress who have opinions on what we should do. And we'll get into that as well as don't forget, it's Wellness Wednesday. Yay, Dr. Jorge joins us top of next hour because we have big things to deal with. But uh, we'll get a little deeper into this as well as the statement from General Mattis. Don't everybody freak out yet. The Secretary of State's response next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. North Korea's rhetoric has just ratcheted up louder and louder and more threatening. So I think the president, what the president was doing is sending a strong message to North Korea in language that Kim Jong-un would understand because he doesn't seem to understand diplomatic language. I think Americans should sleep well at night and have no concerns about uh, this particular rhetoric of the last few days. I think the, the president, again, uh, as commander-in-chief, I think he felt it necessary to issue a very strong statement directly to North Korea. But I think what the president was just reaffirming is the United States has the capability to fully defend itself from any attack and defend our allies, and we will do so. And so the American people should sleep well at night. I like that. That's Secretary of State Rex Tillerson talking about the uh, statement from the president about the fire and the fury, unlike anything we've seen before. And he's probably right. Think about the advances we've made in our nuclear technology since Nagasaki and Hiroshima, since Fat Man and Little Boy were dropped. You know we've, we've made them smaller, more powerful, uh, more devastating. But that's the Secretary of State, a guy who is actually over in the region, not too far away. And he said America should sleep comfortably. So I tend to believe Rex Tillerson. I think he's a grown up. And I think between uh, Secretary of State Tillerson and the president making what he called, if you noticed it, a strong statement from the commander in chief. That was a message to China Russia and North Korea and to Japan and South Korea basically saying we got your back there's more on this we'll look at the roots of what's going on in North Korea just around the corner on Puro Pelkin You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. It's uh, it's a day that we're trying to take down a little bit of the stress and tension, to dial it back, to to speculate on on how we would feel if the president of the United States came out tonight from the Bedminster, New Jersey, temporary Oval Office and said, my fellow citizens, let no one doubt that this is a difficult and dangerous effort on which we have set out. No one can foresee what course it will take or what cost or casualties will be incurred. Many months in which both our patience and our will will be tested. Months in which many threats and denunciations will keep us aware of our dangers. But the greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. The greatest danger of all would be to remember that statement from John F. Kennedy, 1962, October 22nd. Kennedy closed that address on the Cuban Missile Crisis by saying, Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere and, we hope, around the world. God willing, that goal will be achieved. I get a chill. I get a chill when I read some of JFK's speeches. And they're worth looking up on the YouTubes. But can you imagine if if Donald Trump gave that speech that his ratings would skyrocket. And not that this is all about ratings, but I'm just saying. Now, as we were talking about, how did we get here? How did we suddenly end up here with with North Korea, a nation whose people are eating dirt, and yet they have the money to build, to build nuclear war, to miniaturize them, then to be able to build the rockets, both long-range rockets, now they have intercontinental ballistic missile capability. How did we get here? What did John F. Kennedy say? What did he say back when faced, when America was faced with the Cuban Missile Crisis, when, when we were faced with the Soviet Union, a.k.a. Putting nuclear missiles into bases in Cuba, 90 miles from American soil. What did John F. Kennedy say when he was telling the American people about this crisis and how we were going to confront not really the Cubans, but the Russians, because they were the Russian missiles? Excuse me, Soviets. Kennedy said... The greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. Kennedy, a guy who whose picture is probably in the office of every Democratic member of the House and Senate. Somewhere they've got a JFK reference. Somewhere. He's the patron saint of the modern Democratic Party, when in fact it ought to be in every Republican. He's the last the last Democratic senator to cut taxes, understanding that income tax cuts are what sparks an economic growth. He's the last, the last Democratic president to understand that big goals like getting us to the moon and back within the 60s 
would in fact drive a generation and put America in front of the entire world and show off American exceptionalism. JFK, the greatest danger of all, would be to do nothing. Let's fast forward to a guy who got to be president partially on the fact that he had a picture of himself as a young boy with JFK. He was the man from hope. William Jefferson Clinton, the man from hope. Here he is talking about, as president, talking about North Korea and what to do. Before I take your questions, I'd like to say just a word about the framework with North Korea that Ambassador Gallucci signed this morning. This is a good deal for the United States. Huh. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. Yeah. South Korea and our other allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. South Korea, with support from Japan and other nations, will bear most of the cost of providing North Korea with fuel to make up for the nuclear energy it is losing. And they will pay for an alternative power system for North Korea that will allow them to produce electricity while making it much harder for them to produce nuclear weapons. The United National Inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Only as it does so will North Korea fully join the community of nations. I think you get that, that special rating for that 57 center. I think you get the epic fail. On every single point there. Every damn point there. That's from October 21st, 1994. William Jefferson Clinton announcing proudly all of the great things he's worked out with North Korea and all of the things that they did not live up to. And here we are. Here we are. Faced with uh, a crisis. A nuclear missile crisis. And judging from the words of one of the great presidents of my lifetime, the greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. Bill Clinton presided over two terms where we coddled, we made deals, and we really didn't have diplomatic relations with Korea, so guess what? We couldn't see if they were living up to their end of the bargain, but we just had to trust. I go back to another great president who said, trust but verify. North Korea did not wake up one day and go, you know what? We just need to go to the nuclear store and pick us up some of those intercontinental ballistic missiles so we could, we could be uh, able to threaten the world and then they'd be, uh, I don't know, held hostage by our ambitions? No, this has been going on for decades. This has been going on as we look the other way. Now, Clinton, Clinton wasn't the only president between right now and Donald Trump. There were Republicans out there, too. And we haven't been able to crack the code to solve the North Korean problem. But it didn't happen overnight. It's not going to get fixed overnight. Now you have General Mattis saying North Korea must cease those actions that would lead to the end of its regime. Gee, what does that mean? The end of its regime. 
Hmm. Every word now that comes out of this administration from people like Mattis and Tillerson are words that are, are crafted, are statements that are written, vetted, analyzed, tweaked, edited, whatever you want to say. These are messages of statecraft. These are messages of, of warning in the case of Mattis to the North Koreans. He's not saying we're going to kill all the North Korean people. That statement is a clear warning to Kim Jong-un that his time would be up. You must cease the actions that would lead to the end of your regime. North Korea is now officially on notice. It's not just the president. Although I, I do believe Secretary of State Tillerson brings certain comfort to the conversation. Secretary of State Tillerson came out with the statement that we should all, we should all just be able to sleep at night. So your loved ones, my loved ones, you, me, everybody else, I, I do think that the team this president has assembled, from Mattis to Tillerson to Nikki Haley, is an all-star team in, in terms of international diplomacy. Tough and fair. And they're fighting for the exact same thing. Kennedy, again, I'm going back to the speech. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere. And we hope around the world, God willing, that goal will be achieved. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Crazy day here. I know I've spent the entire first uh, hour so far talking about North Korea, but I'm sorry. This is a really important, important time in our history. In my life, I don't remember actually since the missiles of October, I don't remember ever being afraid that uh, a nuclear war could actually be about to break out or a nuclear attack. And yet I kind of feel like this guy, this North Korean guy, I don't think he wants to, but I think he's capable of doing it. So I hearken back to the days when, when we faced this back in 1962. And I, I was this, as I said, I was a little kid. I came home from kindergarten and, we all had questions and mom sat us down and explained what was going on. And that's that story. I should link to that original story of me explaining my mother telling us the difference between communists and, and free people, capitalists, like we had here in the United States of America. It's one of the greater, greater moments of my young life, but it all came from that October in 1962 as we moved from the south side of Chicago to a Wonder Years-like suburb 
called Glenview, Illinois. It was a magical moment. Also, at that same time, at the exact same time, it was uh, like 61 and 62 that JFK, Jackie, and the kids, and Macaroni the Pony lived or spent their weekends outside of Washington in a little place, little, I think it was about 150 acres, in Northern Virginia. It was a, a place that, that was accessible pretty much by car. It took you about 45, 50 minutes to get there from D.C. But they would fly on a military helicopter to get to this spot. Not Marine One at the time. It was an Army helicopter. Actually, I have pictures from the Kennedy archives. But last year, I was digging up stories, and I found the story of the house that JFK and Jackie rented before they built the house they would eventually use for their weekend getaways. You see, they didn't travel to Camp David all the time either. A lot of presidents did not. But this was a property in northern Virginia, in a teeny tiny little place that's mostly horse farms now. There are vineyards and horse farms in the area. But the property was built in the 1880s. Maybe earlier, maybe 1830s. And it had out buildings that housed stables and places where um, workers would live. The Secret Service took up in one of the houses where the workers would live in the early days when this was a horse farm slash plantation. But JFK and Jackie and the kids lived in the main house. And underneath the main house, just outside of the main house, there actually was a bomb shelter. I know, it sounds amazing. To think about the fact that the President of the United States rented a house outside of Virginia. He would go there, travel there by helicopter so he could spend weekends with Jackie and John John and Caroline and Macaroni the Pony. And they had a bomb shelter. I have a about a 30-second video that I'm going to post on Twitter after, uh, after we visit with Dr. Jorge, as well as some pictures of this property. It's an amazing bit of history to walk through and to think uh, up until recently when they did some of the renovations that um, Jackie and John slept here. And there, there was a library there that still had some of the signs of the early 60s, the pass through to the bar and the kitchen and the entire setup. And there were extra lines that were put in for Secret Service to be able to, to contact D.C. and make sure they kept the president safe. I have a whole bunch of pictures I should post on it. But I thought particularly interesting today was the 10 by 10 bomb shelter with the steel beam across the top that was just outside the front door. And I just wonder if, if the president and first lady ever ever had their own drills to run down there, especially during the fall of 1962. I perhaps think he rarely left the White House that month because things were so tense between America and the Soviets. But maybe Jackie and John John and Caroline and their Secret Service agents regularly drilled to run down those little steps. You can see the picture of the entrance on my Twitter account. 
We'll talk about that. And we have Dr. Jorge, and he's going to answer your questions on Wellness Wednesday. Next on Pure Opelka. Michael Belka on the Blaze Radio Network.